0: We're never gonna finish scrapbooking, but where are you heading generally and what does that look like for you? What do you want that to feel like? And which of these strategies, even if they were in a different category, which of these are gonna help you get there? Welcome to Scrapbook Your Way, the show that explores the breadth of ways to be a memory keeper today. I'm your host, Jennifer Wilson, owner of Simple Scrapper and author of The New Rules of Scrapbooking. This is episode nine. In this episode, Kim and I discuss strategies for staying on track with your scrapbooking projects, even when life gets busy. Hey, Kim, how are you today? I'm doing well. Awesome. I am so glad to be having this conversation because accountability is something we talk about so much at Simple Scrapper and so much that we um, work on in supporting our member community. Uh, in their creative accountability. So I think this is going to be super, super juicy.
1: Well, I told you, you had me when you mentioned Gretchen Rubin. So I'm, you know, on board for that.
0: Awesome. So to kick things off, let's share what is exciting us right now. And I know you have something that you are super excited about.
1: Yes. Over the weekend, Stacey Julian, I had seen on her Instagram account, she has a new podcast called Exactly Enough Time. And I'm a big fan of Stacey's. And I know you are as well. You worked with her at Big Picture on some classwork there. Um, So I I just really like Stacey's attitude. She's always cheerful and upbeat. And I feel like she's really an authentic person. And I listened to the first two episodes and it sounds like it's going to be a mix of just kind of her approach to life as well as scrapbooking specific type concepts. So I'm excited to see what she has in store for us.
0: Yes, it sounds fun. I have not listened yet, but, as you said, she's just a delightful personality, and so I think it'll be a really, really good listen. and as a as a podcaster here myself now, I am super supportive of all other podcasters and excited to see more of those within the the broader memory keeping and crafting
1: space because it can only help our industry. Well, and then I also, because I'm gonna pop on here with the second podcast, this is a specific episode. I had discovered this back in, I think the first part of January and I shared it with our members and the Simple Scrapper members. So they would have probably come across this, but it's a podcast dedicated to sewing called Love to Sew. And they had Gretchen Rubin on as a guest. And we'll talk about more about Gretchen in this episode with accountability and kind of how it, her approaches to creating accountability for yourself. But um, it was very interesting. I've listened to Gretchen's podcasts and read her books, but this was interesting because it was specifically focused on crafting and in this case sewing. But I felt like a, there were a lot of parallels to scrapbooking because they talked about making time for your hobby and accumulating supplies and different things that definitely apply to our hobby as well.
0: Yeah, I think that sounds like a great follow-up listen to this particular episode. Uh, we're giving dropping a lot of hints here about where we're, we're going to go with our conversation. Uh, but before we get to that, my pick is also podcast-related, and I wanted to share my favorite podcast app. It is available for both Apple and Android phones, and it's called Pocket Casts. And I will include the link to uh, both versions in the show notes, it's just a, a really easy app. Um, it has a really nice interface. I love the ability to skip forward, skip back, to create my own playlists. So I always um kind of mark episodes for listening so I can listen to them in order without selecting a new episode. It just it's just really fun and easy. And I love that it is cross-platform so I can use the same app on different devices. And so if you don't have a favorite podcast app, particularly if you are listening in the
1: browser, then I encourage you to download that one. Fun and easy is always good. Which one do you use, Kim? I actually just use the the native app that's on my phone. So cool. I used just the iPod one before, and then when I got an iPhone, I just used that one. And it's always been fine for me. I've never had problems, so it's never really prompted me to go use a different one.
0: I did have problems with that at the very end of my relationship with the iPhone, mm-hmm. is that I couldn't get it to... I think I couldn't get it to open at the time. It was kind of some sort of, you know, conflict with whatever operating system I was on that I couldn't update, but the app updated and it was just a whole big mess. But of course, since then, I've only heard good things about it since they officially switched to the whole Apple Podcasts versus iTunes thing. All right, so let's jump into today's discussion. I wanted to talk about this because I hear a lot of scrapbookers Sharing the same struggles, and you may have heard some different things as well, particularly from our members, that they love scrapbooking, they love to talk about scrapbooking, think about it, buy the supplies, and they love doing it, but there's this sometimes there's this barrier that they're not doing it as much as they would like. They're not able to get started, they're feeling just that their their productivity is lacking. And at the end of the year, they don't feel as successful or as accomplished as they would like. And of course, we've built a lot of what we do here at Simple Scrapper around solving these challenges. Um, but this particular episode, I think, really hits on this key strategy, and that's accountability. And we're going to talk about what that really means and what that can look like for different people. So Kim, I wonder what other struggles that you have heard or other ways that people have phrased that.
1: Well, as far as struggles, I feel one that comes up a lot is people put scrapbooking kind of at the bottom of the list. So mm-hmm. I will scrapbook after, you know, the kids are, well, the kids should always be fed. But anyways, like, you know, the meal's been made and the laundry's done and the house is clean and, you know, everything's X, Y, Z, and then I'll scrapbook. But by the time, well, one, if that ever does happen, they're too tired or it's too late or, you know, their house is now clean, so they don't want to make a mess. So I feel like putting scrapbooking at the bottom of the list is a common problem for people because by the time they get to it, they no longer have the energy to do it. And then also a lot of people, I feel like I've heard they talk about being overwhelmed. So it's a matter of I now I have time and I'm ready to do it. But where do I start? Like they're either overwhelmed by their photos or overwhelmed by their story ideas or they're overwhelmed by their product and they just don't know where to begin.
0: Well, and I think some of the strategies we'll talk about tackle both of those issues in terms of breaking things down, uh, thinking about smaller chunks or smaller bites that it's easy to get started, as well as how do you make it a priority and how do you make it easy to have it fit in your day and just be another thing that you do so that that it doesn't keep falling to the bottom after everything else. That sounds great. So why do you think it's easier for some people to make progress than others? Because if we're scrolling Instagram, I'm always seeing, oh gosh, so-and-so just is constantly scrapbooking and makes so many pages and they're so beautiful. But why don't I scrapbook that much? I, I think I love it just as much as they do, but why don't I have the same type of productivity?
1: One thing is probably because what you see online isn't necessarily, you know, their real life either. So of course, you know, maybe of course. <laughs> you're better, maybe you're doing something that they're not doing. Maybe, you know, they have a house cleaner or, you know, their husband's the family cook. And so, you know, but those are responsibilities that you have. So I think that's part of it. It's not, you don't always get what you see, I guess. I, personality is some of it. And I think that's one of the things we'll discuss later as well maybe for some people, it's just easier to say, like, this is important to me, so I'm going to take the time to do this. And it might be for other people. And some of it might be having clarity as far as that's one thing you talk a lot about is what is your why. So you know what your end goal is or what your intentions are when you scrapbook that can eliminate some of that overwhelm or where to start because you have an aim that you're going towards. And then lastly, I feel like for some people... They might be frustrated because maybe the hobby doesn't fit their life. And I know mm-hmm. that's something that will be probably a recurring topic on this podcast overall. But the idea of, you know, like a few years ago when pocket page scrapbooking was so big for some people, maybe they didn't like pocket pages, but that was a lot of the products and that was a lot of what they were seeing online. And that wasn't maybe as inspiring to them and they got frustrated or, you know, maybe vice versa They love pocket pages and not layouts or whatever. So I think it's very important to identify what gets you excited about scrapbooking so you can create a hobby that fits you personally, because that will, I think, make it easier to make progress because you're excited to do it.
0: Of course. And that's obviously a huge theme of this show and the whole scrapbook your way movement, if you want to call it that. Um, The personality thing, I think, is really what we need to hit, hit, huh? Why do I say this? That personality thing is really important here. And we're gonna talk about that within a a specific context. But I'm also wondering if there's a certain degree of maybe from the Myers-Briggs framework, but the introvert versus extrovert in terms of how much you're in your head. Because I've I've tried to pay attention and 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 keep track of my time, and I spend an awful lot of time thinking and I'm sometimes even get stuck in my head I'll, I'll take a shower my husband's like you've been in there for a long time and it doesn't feel like it because I'm stuck in my head and so I'm wondering if that influences progress in a ways that it doesn't for others
1: I can see that I also another personality um framework I guess that I've I discovered maybe four to five years ago and it's come back up on my radar recently that I'm finding interesting. It's called the Enneagram. Uh-huh. Have you ever done the Enneagram test? I think I'm a type three, but I don't remember. Okay. So I was just reading about this recently because like I said, it came back on my radar and I was kind of diving into it. And they talked a lot about how some people are feeling people. Some people are like doing action focus and some are thinking. So there's the nine different types and their categories. There's three types in each of those feeling, acting, and thinking so you could just be a thinking type so yeah
0: so last year as part of the simple scrapper book club we read this book called reading people how seeing the world through the lens of personality changes everything and this is by the blogger ann bogle also known as modern mrs darcy and this was a really helpful book in terms of breaking down the different types of personality profiles and and what types of oh gosh, what types of things they help you think about differently? Because um, when you use these personality things, you can both observe yourself and others from a different lens, as she says. And so we'll include that in the show notes. Because if this these types of frameworks are all new to you, it might be a really great entry point.
1: Well, and I think you've mentioned this before too that if you spend a lot of time thinking about scrapbooking or like planning out a scrapbook in your head then it maybe takes away some of the drive to actually complete the scrapbook page because in your head, you know, you've already processed all those decisions or those thoughts. And so it's maybe a different process of working through a different creative process, I guess. Oh,
0: I mean, I have to stop myself from, from over planning because I will get so much satisfaction. Isn't the quite, quite the right word, but my brain thinks that I've done the project because I planned it all out. And then I lose interest.
1: that's valuable
0: to know for sure. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's turn to specifically talking about accountability here. Um, Do you, how would you define accountability? It's kind of a weird word. And I've been told before, like people don't really want
1: accountability, but then I've heard from others that they do. Well, I would define accountability as follow through. So doing what you say you're going to do. I don't, is that what you would consider accountability? I think it's having
0: some sort of support or trigger for that follow through. Okay. So it's more than just like, I mean, you can follow through without any sort of accountability. To me, that's, you know, if you think if you break down the word, the accounting portion of it is how, how are you keeping track? Or how is that being uh, evidenced in the real world, I guess?
1: No, and that makes sense.
0: I would say. And I think that's definitely the perspective that we want to take on it here is, is how, what are the different ways that scrapbookers can be supported or support themselves in getting things
1: done? Well, and then you also mentioned if it's something that everyone wants. And I don't think that it is something that everybody wants or needs necessarily. Well, we've touched on that from
0: the beginning. There's some people that are super productive and they just like, why do I need something different? They have whatever inner drive they have to create. It's there and they don't need that support. But there's just as many, if not more others who, as we've said, love scrapbooking, but for some reason have trouble making progress.
1: Well, and also the idea that there's an ebb and flow to your creative rhythms, I guess, um, that at some points you may be really productive and you don't need any sort of accountability measures, but then there might be times where you kind of cycle down and maybe you just take a break. But also maybe if you want to continue to create, that would be a time that you could turn towards some sort of accountability.
0: Yeah. And having that simple awareness of, Oh, I'm, 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 I'm doing great now, but now I might need some, some support. And here are the strategies that work for me. And hopefully by the end of this episode, you'll have at least one new strategy that you can try. So Kim, what are your favorite accountability strategies that you use? Because I know we've been talking about this for a long time. So I know you have at least one that you know works for you.
1: So I probably have two main ones that help me progress. And one of them is either like having a specific project that I've identified, or I think you coined this term projectify. (laughs) So it's the idea of I am working on, you know, a travel album. Then it has like a very clear beginning and an end that I can work towards and to see that progress. Or if I don't have like a specific theme album that I might be working on or a specific thing that I might be working on, you know, quarter one of 2018. And I will kind of, I guess, break things down into bite size pieces that I can feel like I'm making progress. So it's that whole idea of like, as I succeed and, Make pages, and it just snowballs into making more pages because I'm enthusiastic and feeling um, successful. And that kind of branches into my second strategy, which is to make finite lists of what I want to do. So I have within the Trello app much larger lists of kind of layouts or that I want to make, but I will also identify and pull like, okay, what are the next three to five layouts that I want to make? And then I can just focus on those. And that feels very achievable to me, as opposed to looking at, you know, a list of you know, 50 stories that I want to tell.
0: So you really like clarity, I can tell, like you want everything all laid out for you. So you can know the smallest detail of what's next
1: well, then it just eliminates that overwhelm or the decision of like where to go next. And I don't always necessarily stick to it, but it gives me a starting point. So if I'm not necessarily feeling really enthusiastic about something at that time, then I can, you know, stick to my original laid out plan. But if, for example, the other day I was making a layout and I was fuzzy cutting these stars and I had a photo laying there and it wasn't necessarily on my plan to scrapbook immediately, but I found that the stars worked really well at the photo. So then I just transitioned into that, but definitely, you know, having that list got me started. And once I checked that layout off my list, I went on to the next one that wasn't on the list, but that I was excited to make. So.
0: So this is going to be super interesting here because we both self-identified and I don't know if you've taken the Myers-Briggs test as, as INTJs, but I think in terms of our, tendencies and we're going to talk about Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies framework is that we're different here. So I, I make these plans and I always know what's next on my project, but that doesn't motivate me to start. And I have to use other tricks to actually get started, get to the table and get the ball rolling. Now I'm curious what strategies you've seen because you're always every day in our member community, and I know you attend a lot of our the member-hosted crops. What strategies do you see working well for our members, just kind of broadly? And then we'll get into some of the details later.
1: I would say using a timer is something that a lot of members find very helpful. So they'll say, I'm going to go into my craft space for 15 minutes and work. And then they'll often find that just getting started is helpful for them. I think a lot of people we do like a weekend refresh post every week where they go in and they post like what they've their victories are this week and then their next action plans. So just declaring very specifically what they want to do next, that has been very helpful to a lot of people. And then also we've had several members that will do almost like a public declaration within our community where they'll have a post and they'll say, you know, this is my intent that I'm going to work on, you know, such and such project. And then they'll update in the comments regularly where they're at And the idea is that, you know, they feel accountable to to continue to do that post. And if, you know, for whatever reason they're not posting, a lot of times, you know, members can reach out and say like, hey, how's it going? You know, maybe that they're dealing with something in their personal life or whatnot, but then they definitely have the support of the community there as well. So
0: and they definitely do that, and we've also had members kind of buddy up to have their own accountability partners and meet, you know offline, sometimes, yes, even in person, but also just meet over Skype or Zoom or, or whatnot to support each other more on a closer basis.
1: Yeah, and I could see how that would be really valuable, especially if you find someone has a lot of the same interests and goals with you, but I don't even think that's necessarily a requirement because at some point, you need somebody, you know, that you can feel trustworthy about, to you know, but also that will keep you on task, I guess.
0: Well, yeah, and people that that complement each other that may or may not be the same, but support each other and, you know, your weaknesses and strengths, vice versa. So you mentioned the timer, and that is a big one for me. I use that all the time, both in my crafting and in my homekeeping, because somehow that timer gets me started and it's almost like it's just it's a game. I want to beat the timer or I want to see how much I can do in just 10 minutes or 20 minutes because it often is like, "Oh gosh, it has to have been 20 minutes now." "Oh, sorry, it's only been 5." Um and that just shows the kind of the short attention span that I've developed that if you can focus for 20 minutes on something, you can get so much done. Um so I really really rely on that. And I also rely on just having dates on the calendar not for myself because if I put my own date on the calendar like Oh, Jennifer, you're going to scrapbook at this time alone. I will just skip over it and find something else to do. But if I have a date with someone else, whether that's somebody in our, you know, someone individual or our whole community to do a live crop or even attending one of the member crops, I will show up and I will make something. And that's probably been one of my best productivity strategies overall is just that showing up and it, it motivates me to get started. It's I like, oh, well, I'm here. I guess I better do something. Um, And it's just that they can be really simple things like that. It's not necessarily, you know, taking a class or, or using a specific prompt. It's just these really kind of logistical strategies that, that get me going.
1: I will use the timer occasionally as well. And it oftentimes more so for, like you'd mentioned, like household tasks, like unloading the dishwasher. It's like, you know, I have two minutes left on the microwave with, you know, whatever I'm boiling water. So it's amazing how much you can get in a short period of time. You can get a lot done.
0: I've certainly done some of that multitasking too with, oh, I think I need to put something in the oven for 30 or 45 minutes. I shouldn't stand here and just flip on my flip through my phone in that time. I should go get something else done so that when, when dinner's over and we're all cleaned up, I can actually, I feel like I have the time to go scrapbook. So that, some of it's not even multitasking for your scrapbooking; it's multitasking for your life, so that you retain that time and energy to scrapbook later.
1: Yes, well, and I do know that some of our members use um, the Pomodoro. Is it Pomodoro? Is that how you mm-hmm. pronounce that? Where yeah. it's you work on a project for 25 minutes and then spend five minutes. And they kind of do the opposite, where they'll craft for 25 minutes, and when the timer goes off, then they'll spend the five minutes, you know, loading the dishwasher or, or you know switching out the laundry, and then. You know, then they're back to crafting for another 25 minutes. So they kind of spin it um, from that attitude of crafting you know, first. The crafting comes first. Yeah, yes, I love that. course Later. Yeah,
0: that's the way to live.
1: Heck yes. <laughs>
0: All right. So we've mentioned Gretchen Rubin a few times and we've read a couple of her books in the book club and we're reading another one this year called Outer Order Inner Calm. And that one's not even been released yet. But she has this thing called the four tendencies framework. And these help people better understand what motivates them to do really almost anything. And it can also lead you to what type of accountability you need or even how much accountability that you need. And and so she briefly outlines these four tendencies as... um, So I'll, I'll give you the names and then I'll share what kind of what they expect. So upholders obligers, questioners, and rebels. And so upholders meet outer expectations and inner expectations, and they want to know what should be done. So Kim, I think you have at least a little bit of upholder in you.
1: Yes, that would be my primary type. (laughs) And that is a good description. Like, I get unsettled, maybe is a word for it. If I do not know what the expectations are. If I know what the expectations are, great. I can do my best to meet them. But when I do not know, then I it can be frustrating or cause like not anxiety, but you know, definitely is not my happy space. I like to know like the lay of the land for sure.
0: Yeah. And I can identify that to a certain degree, but I think there's some other tendencies where I'm much stronger and I've I always test uh, into a different category, and we're going to leave um, a link in the quiz notes to Gretchen Rubin's quiz, where you can take her, you know, multi-question test to find out which tendency is yours. And you may even find it helpful to pause this episode, go take the test if you haven't before, and come back with that new perspective. It's really, really short. All right. So then we have obligers, and obligers meet outer expectations. So, you know, for example, they get things done at work that their boss tells them to do, but they resist inner expectations like working on their scrapbooking or going to the gym and things they want to do to better themselves. And this type of personality really needs accountability, perhaps even more than some of the others. And they respond well to that, to accountability strategies, if you will.
1: And I will say one thing, that Gretchen has pointed out on her own podcast is that different accountability strategies work for different types of obligers. So what is a successful accountability strategy for one obliger might not be very effective for another person. So it's definitely a matter of finding what works for you, which I think is the case for everyone, no matter your tendency, but very much so for the obligers.
0: Well, I know. I've, I, so I always test as an obliger. And I've been surprised because I always saw myself as an upholder. But when I was really honest and really looked at it, I was like, oh, yeah, I know what gets crossed off and what keeps getting you know forwarded to the next week or month and what, what does and doesn't get done. So I'm definitely obliger. And I also think I have a little bit more of another one of these um, examples here in a second. All right. So we will get more into these different strategies. And as Kim said, I think that's a really, really important point is that you're going to have to try things. And some of these strategies, whether it's in your, you know, your recommendation for your personality or not, you're gonna have to try it and see what works and see what motivates you and what doesn't. Because some people say are really motivated by time oriented things like calendar dates and deadlines. And some are motivated by rewards. I personally am not really motivated by rewards at all because I probably will just reward myself anyway. (laughs) Um, So it's all about what works for you. And, you know, that will be the, you know, the 10th of 1 million times we say that on this podcast, I think. The next one is questioners. Questioners resist outer expectations and meet inner expectations. And so the questioners want justifications. They always are asking, why? Why do I have to do this? Like, I'm good with my own stuff because I made it up. But when somebody else tells me what to do, I'm going to really want to understand why and have trouble if I can't fit it into my own kind of worldview. And then the last one is rebels. Rebels resist both outer and internal expectations and, because they want the freedom to do something their own way. And I think I have a little bit of rebel in me because Kim, you were talking about really needing to know the expectations Mm -hmm. and I will often in the absence of those, I will make up my own or what I assume are the expectations and say, well, you know, if you didn't tell me what it was, I just, this is what I assumed. So you're wrong and I'm right.
1: (laughs) Well, and I think one other thing that's interesting to point out is there tends to be, I guess, at least in Gretchen's. Assessment, obligers and questioners are the most common. So that might be helpful for people to know as well when they're looking at the different types of tendencies. With rebels, yeah, I think that would be that would be a challenge. Not so much, I guess, as you're getting older, you know, and you have more responsibility. But definitely with little kids, they'll talk about people. I have a I have a preschooler who's a rebel, and I can't get them to you know put on clothes and brush their teeth and things like that. So definitely having strategies in place would be helpful um, far beyond your creative pursuits. But yes. Well, and I
0: think in one of her books, she talks about how it's not like any of these personality types can't be successful in life. We all learn coping mechanisms to deal with our own personalities, regardless of what personality trait it is. And so you may need to like peel back the layers because you're probably already employing accountability strategies in your own life just so that you can move forward depending on what what works for you and what has worked for you over the years and what you've learned uh, to do in order to to be a you know a functioning adult to up to a you know productive successful adult. Definitely. yes. Yeah. All right, so let's let's break it down one by one and talk about some different strategies here. So going back to upholders, And I'm curious, I know you have some examples here, and I'm curious what you thought of some of my examples of what I think would work. So for an upholder, which, you know, you're a good example of, I'm guessing that upholders would love to follow along with challenges, prompts, and classes, because those expectations
1: are clearly laid out. I do well with classes, generally. Not, I don't participate in a lot of challenges and prompts. And maybe part of that Like, you know, as far as like this tendency thing, this is just one aspect of my personality. So there's other aspects that come into play here. And I I think it just is a matter of if I feel accountable in some way to those challenges or prompts. So if I felt, you know, obligated to do them, then I would do them. But I think in this case, the only time I do a challenge or prompt is if I see it as an, if it's more of an internal expectation, like if it's something I want to do, then I will do it. Um, as opposed or if there's, you know, a clear external obligation there. But just in general, I'm not a big challenge and prompt scrapbooker. But I guess at the same time, you also
0: probably, you may not need those because you're more familiar with planning out step by step how you want to accomplish something.
1: Yes. And that was your next thing on there was using tools to plan out. And that is definitely something that I do for accountability purposes.
0: So I guess from that perspective, some upholders may not need classes as much because they naturally want to break it down into pieces and we're going to kind of do it their own way and may actually not
1: jive with the way someone else broke it down yes and I would say as far as classes different classes are fun I enjoy them I they can definitely if I'm feeling kind of stagnant in my scrapbooking they can kind of re-energize things um, and it definitely depends on the type of class that it is to whether it's more introspective or if it's more focused on like creative play. So that makes a difference as well.
0: So I'm wondering how upholders deal with um, accountability with others. Have you ever had an accountability buddy and or would you want to be one for someone else?
1: So this is actually kind of interesting. This is was one of the kind of aha moments I had when I was reading um, Gretchen's recent book is that I don't really want to be someone else's accountability buddy, which sounds really in kind of harsh. But I think, you know, in general, it's hard enough to manage my own things and keep on top of that. Because then I feel that if I'm someone's accountability buddy, then, you know, I have to fulfill an obligation to them. And that can be very, like, draining to me. Um, like, non-scrapbooking wise, but like, I would exercise every morning, I drop my kids off at school, and then there's local trails, and I would go for a walk. And I had a friend that wanted to start exercising and, you know, I said, you know, you're welcome to join me every time. But she wanted me to call, you know, and say like, Hey, I'm going to be exercising to like prompt, right. To be her accountability Mm -hmm. for that. Um, or I don't know, I'll find it in different examples, even with my kids, like I don't want to have to be their accountability person. Like I just want them to go clean their room. I don't want to have to, you know, push them along step-by-step type of a thing. So in general, I would say, not as interested in being you know or I guess if I feel like and Gretchen will talk about this uh, holders will feel like well I could just I can do it you know so you kind of just want other people to do it on their own as well without needing that which sounds heartless but it's not but it's just definitely like that's how I approach things like well you know I can do it and I'm very independent in the matter of you know I want I'll take care of my stuff and other people can take care of their stuff.
0: Do you think there's a certain degree of that it's exhausting enough to be, I don't want to say hard on yourself, but you have all these expectations that you're placing on yourself, so that you don't have the energy left to
1: give that to someone else. Most definitely, I would say and I am introverted as well. So if I had a lot of interactions with a lot of other people, that would also be draining to my energy. So it would drain my energy all the, you know, repeated interactions. But also, yes, like feeling that obligation And you talked a little bit about being an obliger who tips towards rebel, and I'm an upholder who tips towards obliger. So I do have a little bit about that in me where if I was someone's accountability, buddy, like I would definitely like, you know, I would follow through and I'd be like a champion accountability buddy. But I think that would take a lot out of me personally, energy wise.
0: All right, so let's move on to obligers. Now I'm self-identified obliger here, so we'll see if these apply to me. So I think obligers love scheduling things or they respond well to having something on the calendar where someone else is gonna be that whether it's a phone call, something online, there's a time set where they need to check in with humans individually or collectively, because there that becomes an outer expectation. And as someone who trends towards an obliger, I'm guessing you probably like that
1: as well, or at least when you feel like you need it. Yes. Yeah. That definitely can kind of motivate me to act as well.
0: Well, I think it's just a really easy thing, as as I mentioned at the beginning, is that if you can find a community that you connect with or even just one person to be an accountability partner, as long as you guys are both on the same page about it, it can be just really be a really powerful tool to keep coming to the table and keep making progress because you have that mini, mini deadline um, set for yourself.
1: Well, and then also... As far as, like you mentioned, being part of different communities, for some of Gretchen will talk about how if they prepaid for like an exercise class or, you know, if you prepaid for, you know, a class or a scrapbook subscription kit or something, then you might feel obligated To scrapbook because you've spent that money and it's coming, you know, I mean, you're not getting it back. So either like the product's coming in the door, or you've already purchased the class. And for some people that can create accountability to follow through. And then for some people, it doesn't at all. So again, that comes back to the knowing what works for you. Yeah, I would
0: say for me, that doesn't really work. I um, <laughs> I did this survivor thing at RY, it was only 10 bucks. And my name is on a big wall with some points at the beginning, and then some zeros after that. And I'm like, Oh, well, you know, I got sick, I couldn't keep up. Um, it is what it is. Maybe when I was younger, I would have felt differently about it. But now at this point in my life, I don't really care what other people think. So that isn't as much of
1: an incentive to me to to have a public failure, I guess. Well, and maybe it has to do with like the amount of money. So like $10 wasn't much to lose. Like you didn't feel like you're out, but what if it was like $1,000? You know, I mean, then you might have been a little more motivated. But if you get sick, I mean, there's nothing you can do about that. But
0: yeah, I think more money, definitely more money. But I've certainly had things where it's like, you know, I lost the amount of money for a plane ticket because we had to cancel and there was no refunds. And I was like, well, it's just... I don't know, maybe I'm just really accepting of things sometimes, because it seems like you're over the years, I've learned how to be more go with the flow. I would say a decade ago, I was definitely more uptight. (laughs) Um, But I guess that's another personality conversation for
1: another time. Well, and you talked about scheduling or being accountable to other either like one person or a group. Do you find like you tend to be more accountable to certain people than you are to other people? So like maybe you'd be less accountable. One thing she ta- Gretchen will talk a lot about is to, that your spouse oftentimes does not work to be a good accountability partner because they are so close to you personally, you almost view their expectations as inner expectations. So then you don't meet them. So I wondered if, you know. I would agree with that
0: 100%. Yeah, I think people who I I care about their opinion. So, you know, if I'm going to commit to something in our community or online related to simple scrapper in general, I'm going to follow through because I want to be viewed as a, a trusted, reliable person. Um, and I don't want to damage that reputation. So I would say I would have a high degree of accountability in that sense. And that's one reason why the member craps work so well. Oh, for sure. And, and I know it. And I, I hope that while I can't provide the same experience for everyone else because they're not the business owner, I know that it, it similarly works because they're you know, they're on camera and people can tell if you are or aren't doing something. So mm-hmm. it certainly works to make progress. All right. The next one is questioners. And so we're just reviewing. This is the one that resists outer expectation but meets inner. This one is really kind of interesting to me. So this is the person that wants justifications. Um, so I think some of the strategies here are a little bit different than what we've discussed Uh, Because I think they're more internal. When you have that outer expectation that you're resisting, you need to turn more inner in order to get things done. So the first example is focusing on your why and how whatever it is that you're being suggested or asked to do, how that fits into your own personal values or goals or plans.
1: Yes. A lot of times, Gretchen will talk about this one being they basically turn... Outer expectations into inner expectations in order to meet them. So I think that the suggestion on focusing on your why and how it fits you or doesn't fit you would be key for a questioner. I think questioners might have a really,
0: maybe not super easy time, but an easier time than others in saying no, because they're very easy to like validate, okay, yes, this fits with what I want or this doesn't. And I'm going to say no to all these things that I don't think fit within my own expectations.
1: Yeah, My husband is a questioner and he does not scrapbook, but I will say in general, I feel like he's kind of my sounding board for things when I'm feeling kind of uncertain or pulled in too many directions. And he'll just tell me like, yeah, you don't, you don't need to meet that. I'm like, oh, okay. Like he just kind of gives you that. But yeah, I would agree that can also be really challenging. And this doesn't really relate to scrapbooking and maybe there'd be a way to do it. But if there is an outer expectation, say from a boss or somebody that you don't feel is valid. So you have to find a way to meet that. So at least, but then that can kind of come to the idea tie it to your identity of like, I'm the type of person that, you know, meets these obligations. So maybe that's another thing with questioners. And I think it applies to rebels as well, as far as, you know, your who, what your values are and if you live your life to meet those.
0: Well, I imagine questioners, as we mentioned earlier, have to learn skills to make sure that their questioning comes off appropriate and professional. I mean, there's certainly a a, a tone and demeanor factor there because they questioning you can question and be very polite about it or you can be not so polite. Uh, and they've learned how to how to do that in a way that uh, gets them the results that they want, whether that's a change in that external expectation or uh, some sort of, trick that they can use to
1: just do it anyway. Well, and I would say also for questioners, since they question everything, I think from a creative or scrapbooking standpoint, they could struggle with analysis paralysis of like, you know, what to do next or, you know, what supplies to buy, because they're always going to be like questioning whether like this is the best fit. So they do probably a lot of like exhaustive research. And so um, one of the things you have listed here is the idea of like setting a deadline or maybe for them. Scrapbooking wise, if they find that they analyze like new scrapbook product, maybe like a kit club would be good for them because then they're not wasting that time and energy on those things.
0: So it sounds like that questioners might really respond well, even if they don't think they enjoy them, but to challenges, prompts, sketches, little starting points that help them stop that internal questioning process stop trying to do the comparison and the analysis you mentioned and really just jump into doing
1: um, a little bit easier. Yeah, I think that would be really helpful for questioners.
0: Well, this is a perfect opportunity to invite those who are listening to jump over to the blog and leave a comment on maybe what you know your personality type is and how what types of accountability solutions really work for you and which ones don't at all. I think that's going to be a really valuable discussion on this particular topic.
1: Yeah, I can't wait to see what people have to say. So the one other thing
0: that I thought about for questioners is that they need to accept permission to do things their own way. And we mentioned that at the beginning that they need to apply these outer expectations and and turn them into inner expectations. And so sometimes that may be like reframing it or thinking about it, but also too, when you're told to do something, if you can achieve the same result in your own way, as long as it's not gonna get you fired, then that's fine. There's nobody telling you, you have to do things a certain way but questioners may wonder if that's okay because they're not rebels. They're not going to say, well, I just do things my way. They may be wondering, is this going to be okay if I do it differently? Because I get that question a lot in our classes that we teach is, is it okay if I use an app instead of my computer? Or is it okay if I um, you know, do this as a conversation with my husband rather than a layout? I'm
1: like, yeah, whatever.
0: Whatever makes you feel like you got it done, that is great.
1: Well, and I can see that being an issue with formats as well. So, say they follow along with Allie Edwards and she's doing December Daily and she's doing a six by eight album, but you know they don't actually. That doesn't work for them. So, definitely considering changing up formats to what fits their needs as opposed to feeling, you know, an obligation. I guess to follow through with what else they're seeing either online or in their class or, you know, their friends are doing. Mm-hmm, for sure.
0: All right, our last category here is the rebel. They resist both outer and inner expectations. They want that freedom and they're all fine with doing it their own way all the time. And so the first thing that came to mind for me as maybe a little bit of a rebel is to make things more of a game, to try to find a, a fun twist to it, whether that's using the timer, as we mentioned, um, a lot of people really enjoy seeing a streak So that's doing like the same thing, you know, every week or every single day. And there's apps that you can use to track that. And that's really motivating because it, it takes it off of whatever the thing is you're doing and puts it more on. Uh, just a challenge for yourself.
1: Well, and that's the whole, like don't break the chain mm-hmm. process. And we in book club earlier this year read atomic habits. And that's one thing the author talked about as far as the don't break the chain, you know, miss once, but don't miss twice. So that might be an incentive. I will also say with rebels, I feel like one thing that gets brought up again and again is the idea of identity. So they can do whatever they want to do. Uh, but you know, they just very much have to follow through with if that meets their identity. So that they can Gretchen will interview people that, you know, very like you'd mentioned earlier, you know, your tendency doesn't necessarily dictate, you know, your life's journey. Um should, you know, interview with doctors and CEOs and things that are rebels. So if you know you identify as someone that's really caring, compassionate, you know, you can follow through on those actions. So if you identify as you know, a scrapbooker that creates regularly—that is something you can follow through on. It's just very much about meeting or having, I guess, the insight to determine what you want your um, outcome to be. I don't know if it's outcome necessarily, but um, where you're heading, like, what's your, what's your, you know, yeah,
0: destination? Even if we're, we're never gonna f- finish scrapbooking, but where are you heading generally, and what does that look like for you? What do you want that to feel like? And which of these strategies, even if they were in a different category, which of these are gonna help you get there? I think rebels in particular might need to do that testing and experimentation because they might be more even resistant to trying because they think, well, I just I do things my way and it's always gonna be this way. And we know that's not true. We know you can teach an old dog new tricks, if you will, but just to, you can do things differently. It just takes time and practice and intention.
1: Well, and then sometimes maybe it's also to alter whatever the situation is to meet your needs as well. So that's like the whole scrapbook your way thing. Like you said, we're going to talk about that over and over again, but to have feel the permission to do that because otherwise you might feel like, well, you're not allowed to do that. So then you just sign off completely and you just don't even participate in the hobby. Whereas if you can find a way to make it fit your style and your approach and kind of your goals, then
0: you can be successful. Yeah, I can see that. I can see Rebels might have that uh, rejective approach or that initial response of, oh, not for me, without taking the pause to figure out how to adapt to make it fit the way you like to do things. Yeah, I can see that. So I'm curious whether it's Rebels or a different type that you think really likes Rewards because I mentioned before that I'm not super into rewards, they don't seem to work for me. Because if I'm really thinking about a reward, I'm probably going to reward myself before I've earned it, <laughs> and maybe that's
1: just a, a
0: fatal flaw in my personality. But I know that works so well for other
1: people. I struggle with rewards, and I feel like a broken record, like Gretchen says. But <laughs> this is, I've listened to her podcast for years, so one thing that she will bring up again and again is kind of the idea of to be kind of wary of the finish line or of like an end game reward because like once you've reached that, then you might not necessarily feel the motivation to continue on your journey. So she talks a lot about treats, the idea of just like a small little thing that you can look forward to or that you enjoy and it's not necessarily a reward for the job done. It's just kind of self-care and it's the idea that if you take care of yourself, you give more to yourself, you can, you know, give more to others. But her treats, my treats are always like, you know, stopping at the store for ice cream or, you know, having a glass of wine. Like, they're not always maybe like the healthiest of treats. Mm -hmm. And hers are always like, I smelled my favorite perfume or just like very, I guess, small little treats. For some people, it's like lighting a favorite candle or having a mug of hot tea. And I kind of do those things every day already. So maybe I already have these treats built into my life that I don't even realize
0: Well, I also think that scrapbookers can use this whole hobby as their treat. Because, you know, life can feel trudging sometimes that we have all these things to do, but if you can treat yourself to whatever form of self-care works for you or or your creative leisure time, bring that in and and just pepper that in your life, you're going to feel like you're making more progress overall, both in life and in your memory keeping, if you're using it as that treat.
1: Yes. I always think of, and again, like it comes back to like how you define a treat, but the idea of, you know, if I make you know X number of layouts, then I can treat myself to some new product, but maybe it doesn't need to be, you know, a whole entire new collection. Maybe you stop at Tuesday morning and you pick something up for two bucks and it's just a little something or the idea of, you know, some people talked about like having a candle or a hot mug of tea, like you can kind of create almost like a ritual around your scrapbooking hobby that incorporates the whole process as a treat, right? Like the actual crafting it kind of gets you into that relaxed mindset of creative creativity. Um, So I think that there's different ways to look at treats and rewards for sure related to the hobby.
0: Well, I think that that environmental aspect that you just mentioned is really important. We, but it doesn't have to be this huge thing. You don't have to have like everyone out of the house and three hours to yourself in order to, light the candle and get started it could be just that little symbol of okay lighting the candle is that transition from you know not me time to me time even if it's only going to be
1: 15 20 minutes well and that is one thing again that book we read in January he talked about creating starting with like the smallest possible I guess like jumping off point so for a habit so maybe and this kind of transitions into another topic but um as far as like, if you like, light the candle, like every time or make a mug of tea or whatever, like that's kind of your trigger to go scrapbook. So you're kind of, if you can build in those treats or rewards as part of the process, that kind of triggers you to get into that mindset.
0: For sure. For sure.
1: So do you think there's any other strategies that we haven't mentioned here, independent of like who they might work well for? We talked a little bit about monitoring, I guess, with the rebels as far as like the streak incentive, that could be really helpful for people. We talked about clarity a little bit in the beginning. I'm trying to think through her list. She well, has a list. I could probably find a link to send to you of different types of um, what sorts of accountability works best depending on your tendency.
0: Well, we can put that in the show notes for sure. And I, I think we've, we've listed a lot of really great examples. Um, in terms of the monitoring, I know that you mentioned our... Uh, weekly refresh posts in the simple scrapper community, but also our victories list inside the Scrapbook Your Way workbook, which is a free PDF download for podcast listeners. You can visit our website, simple slash workbook. But there's a section in there that allows you to mark down every time you create a layout, you can create a tally mark. And then there's a list where you can mark down this is this is the progress I've made. Whether that's, you know, creating a photo book or finishing an album or putting away the supplies that have been sitting on that table for a long time, you can mark that down as a victory and that's a visualization of your progress and that can be an incentive in itself to keep moving because you feel filled
1: up and you can actually see the progress happening. Well, and that is one thing that I think is really valuable because I don't think we give ourselves enough credit for what we do get done. A lot of times people tend to focus on like the negative and what didn't get done or what got the ball got dropped or whatever, but you can go back and see all the progress that you've made. You know, that's very motivating in in itself.
0: Oh, 100%. I know that there's weeks where I feel like, gosh, did I really do anything? But every week I sit down and I make a list of my accomplishments for the week. and I was like, Oh, I guess I did get something done. It just may not be visible right in front of me right now. But no matter what, I'm making progress. And every little step does count, whether that's in my scrapbooking or something else going on in life.
1: Well, and I don't know if this is so much really just like the accountability, but it kind of does tie in with the, the tendency thing as far as like kind of knowing yourself. And we've talked about that as far as like making the hobby fit for you as well. But the idea of, you know, if you're wanting to do something that you find challenging, try to find a way that makes it fit your life. So if you are an early bird and you like to get up at 5 a.m., you know, planning the scrapbook at 11 o'clock at night probably isn't going to work for you so well. So I think that that can be important, kind of no matter your tendency as well. Yeah, anything you can do to make it
0: easier or more fun are are the strategies that you should be looking at because definition of fun is going to vary from person to person.
1: Yes. Oh, totally.
0: Well, speaking of fun, I wanted to spend the last few minutes talking about a fun event that we have planned in the Simple Scrapper community. So this is a member event. We're going to be doing this once a quarter and we're calling them theme weeks. And we've got two themes that we're going to be alternating with, at least for this year. And they're all or they're both related to organization So coming up in March, we're starting Stash Bash Week inside of the membership. And this is going to be seven days where our members are being accountable to each other to make progress on organizing their paper or digital scrapbook supplies. And I am super excited about this. I don't know about you, Kim, but I think it's going to be fun. We've done various types of Stash Bash events for Simple Scrapper and and the community at large. But this is the first time we've really done just for members and just kind of in an unstructured, accountability-focused way. We're not going to be telling you what to do each day. We're going to be helping you figure out what it is that you need to do and then helping you choose from this buffet of strategies to figure out how you're going to accomplish it over that week.
1: Well, and I think that's great because you can really customize the experience to your needs, not necessarily feeling like you have to you know, follow along because maybe you don't have a problem with organizing die cuts, or you don't use letter stickers. So that doesn't apply to you. So this is an opportunity to customize the process to fit your own needs. Exactly.
0: Because we've we've talked about in this conversation about how certain types of classes or certain types of prompts do or don't work for certain personalities. And so we're just kind of We'll share some different strategies and examples, but it's gonna be that kind of community camaraderie and energy that will help motivate
1: you to make progress in your own unique way. Well, and then you also learn from the other members as well. Like we I mean, we've done enough of these types of things over the years, but people are very ingenious in the the solutions they come up with. And so I mean, why not take advantage of other people's genius, right? Oh,
0: 100%. I love seeing what members share because it's, you know, always so different than what I could have come up with on my own because we're all so unique in that way. Okay. And so then next quarter, we'll switch it up and it'll actually be the photo crush theme week. So we'll be transitioning from being supply focused to being photo focused. So let's see if this one is in March, the next one will be April, May, June, we'll be doing photos. And I think summer is the perfect time to really get a handle on your photo library because particularly at the beginning of summer, you're just starting to take a ton of pictures and you want to you know, maybe use a little bit of that summer free time to feel like you can handle it through the rest of the year so you don't feel like you're coming back in the fall with a backlog.
1: Okay, you're talking about backlog or uh, not to have a backlog in the summer photo. So it's the idea of once you can create a system that you can kind of utilize going forward and, and it doesn't have to be like an all-in type of thing because most people have, you know, tens of thousands of photos they're doing with these days. So it's just a matter of kind of creating... I guess the system in place that you can kind of follow going forward to kind of keep yourself kind of on track.
0: Yeah. So, so like, so like our stash bash week, the photo crush week will be a little bit more unstructured because everyone is at a different phase in their process. And that's, that's what I love about all the events that we do is that we really try to provide entry points for wherever you are at right now. And we'll give you that, that starting point, that nudge, that support, but it's up to you. To figure out how to apply that to what you need right now and we we love to ask you lots of fun questions like the ones that we've asked on this podcast to to get you there to get you to that answer on that next step that'll be fun yeah i know kim that you've i've seen your progress over the years and i i'm curious how you think the membership because you remember before we were working together. How do you think yes. that supported your own uh, productivity and
1: and how accountability, you know, led you to where you are now? Well, I would say when I first started scrapbooking, I was kind of on my own and then there was local stores. I had some friends and family locally that I would scrapbook with, but kind of as they got out of it, I was kind of on my own more so. And it was definitely gratifying to find a community of people out there that felt the same way that I did. So it's nice to have a shared experience as far as, you know, to talk to somebody to about, you know, scrapbook lines and different challenges and processes and kind of celebrate the things that we get excited about in this hobby. So I think that that's really helpful. And then as far as accountability, I think it definitely keeps me moving forward. You know, everyone, like I mentioned earlier, you have like creative ebbs and flows, and there's maybe times that you're maybe not feeling as, creative as other times in your life. But there's definitely always something that you can be doing, whether it's organizing supplies or photos or whatnot. So I mean, it all counts as part of the hobby. So, you know, it's not always all about, you know, putting out output. So I think I've definitely taken that away from our community as well, that it's more all encompassing than just making layouts.
0: Oh, for sure. Because it's all those things that we do to support our hobby from taking pictures, organizing them, procuring and organizing supplies, all of that really makes a difference in terms of your
1: ability to to actually then make a page. well, and then also, I love refresh and all the different kind of themed activities that you've done over the years. So that is always, and I mentioned this, I think in one of the other episodes I was on recently, but the idea of like, Taking a pause to kind of assess where you are and your hobby, where you want to go. And I kind of just think, you know, that keeps me going in the direction that I want. Like if I get a little off track, well, then that gives me a moment to kind of pause and then to, to get back on to where I want to be going towards. So make kind of those self assessments.
0: For sure. And I think that hopefully this podcast episode has helped you uh, ask yourself a few questions and think about what it is that you might need to be more productive and feel like at the end of 2019 that you have accomplished what you want, or at least most of what you want in scrapbooking for the year. Well, thank you, Kim. I always love having these conversations and it has been so fun. And thank you all for listening. Have you downloaded our free companion workbook yet? Inside of the Scrapbook Your Way workbook, you'll find insightful prompts that make sure your hobby stays fun and productive. You'll discover renewed motivation for scrapbooking and custom craft a plan that works for you. Just head to simplescrapper.com workbook to get started. And of course, I want you to remember that you have permission to scrapbook your way.